Um, all right, well, let's open with a word of prayer and we'll dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. And as we go to your word right now, oh, we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I pray less of me and more of you. Uh, Lord, not, not the words of man, which are a waste of time, but I pray the word of God would go forth with power. Give us ears to hear what you would say to each and every one of us tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. So let's catch you up. Let's take a few moments. And tonight's chapter is interesting, but as we come to tonight's chapter, Solomon is really coming into his own as the king. If you're not here for first and second, the first and second chapter, the first chapter, chapter one, we saw David was on his deathbed. And if you remember, Adonijah, one of his other sons, tried to, uh, it wasn't Adonijah, excuse me, yeah, he tried to take over the kingdom. And what he did is he just went and he, he uh, usurped the authority. He, got, he created his own parade. He invited some of the leaders to come. And because his dad was on his sickbed and they didn't know if he'd ever get off his sickbed, he had to have a nurse who came and took care of him, Abishag, remember? She would come and care for him and lay in the bed with him to keep him warm at night. So here's mighty David, this mighty warrior. He's now a frail man at the end of his life. And one of his sons is trying to take advantage and make himself king when Solomon was the one that God had instructed to both David and had made clear that Solomon was to be the king. And one of the few people he didn't invite to his big coming out party for being the king was Solomon. Well, word gets back to David through the prophet who went to his wife Bathsheba. She came and told him what was happening. Then they came and, told, and then he came and told David and David stood up and said, no, we're not going to let that happen. Matter of fact, we're going to make Solomon king today. And so David got up the strength to go out and let him know that Solomon was going to be the king. Now, if you're here for chapter 2, we saw David giving Solomon his last words of encouragement, and David dies. So Solomon at the time was probably a teenager. So imagine you're a teenager, and your dad is the greatest king Israel has ever seen, and now you're going to be the king, and your dad's not even going to be around to give you any advice. And some of the advice David gave him in the last moments is he gave him some names of some people to watch out for who would be coming for his kingdom. And he said, you need to deal with them. And it was Joab and Solomon had him put to death. And Shimei, when Shimei left Jerusalem, when he was told not to, he had him put to death. And, and, and so in each case, he, would, he dealt with those people, but now he was the new king. And as the new king, he was in desperate need of some help. And if you'll remember from last last couple weeks, he went and worshiped the Lord. And after worshiping the Lord, he fell asleep. And in a dream, the Lord appeared to him and told him, I'll give you whatever you want. And what did Solomon ask for? Wisdom. For wisdom. He actually said, give me a heart to hear. Help me give me a heart of understanding. He wanted to understand. He said, look, if I'm going to rightfully judge your people, God, I need to have wisdom to know the difference between good and evil. And guys, we, I think we, we, we understand the difference between good and evil right off the bat a lot, but sometimes it's hard. Sometimes when you have two people standing in front of you and someone's lying and the other one's not, it's hard to always know. And so Solomon cries out to God and said, Lord, I need help. Lord, I need help. And so he asked for wisdom. And because he asked to, to be able to hear and understand, God said, because you didn't ask for riches and because you didn't ask that I slaughter all your enemies, I'm going to give you what you asked for. And I'm going to bless you above that. And then he told him, if you will obey my word and do as I have commanded, you will live a long life. And so he gives him first 
an unconditional, I'm going to give you wisdom, and then a conditional promise, if you obey me, then I will give you a long life. So as we come to tonight's chapter, Solomon, he's really kind of hitting his stride. And he's hitting his stride because now he's king. All those who had opposed him, at least the ones that he knew of, are dead. And one's been banished, the rest of them are dead. And now the kingdom is more prosperous than it's ever been. We'll see it in tonight's text. The kingdom is cooking with gas. It's got everything at once. They've over, they, they don't have any enemies right now that are anywhere near fighting them. As a matter of fact, all the countries that surround them are paying taxes to them. So Solomon's in a position where everything is going really, really well. And for the nation, they're at peace and they have great prosperity. Now, I want to read something to you from the previous chapter just to bring us back into place of where we are tonight. I'll just read it to you quickly. You can flip over there. I'm going to read uh, 1 Kings 3, verses 7 through 14, and then we'll, we'll get into chapter 4. It says, Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am little, I'm a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. I don't even know how to walk in, in and sit down on the throne. And your servant is in the midst of people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered and counted. Therefore, give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? A speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself or no riches for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies... But have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I've given you a wise and understanding heart. So, that you have not, you, so there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall there be anyone arise after you. Wisest man who ever lived. That's what God's word says. So it's true. I've also given you what you asked, both what you did not ask, both riches and honor. So you shall not be anyone like you among the kings of all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David did, then I will lengthen your days. So there's the promise. The first one is unconditional. I'm giving you wisdom. The second one is if you do this, then I will do this. And so David is gone. Solomon is this young man. His wisdom was then on display if you were here last week. So he, he asks for wisdom and then God gives him wisdom. And the first, the first thing that we see him showing his wisdom is two harlots coming before the king. And I love that he's got millions of people that he oversees, but he has time for two harlots. And that's a, that's a God thing. Can I get an amen? And the two harlots come in, as we know the story, one of, they both had newborn babies. They were born just a few days apart. And one of the moms uh, rolled over on her son and smothered him while he slept and he died. And the other one accused her of taking her baby, putting the dead baby with her and taking the live baby. And then when she woke up, she realized that the babies had been switched. So they come before King David. And they're both saying, they both have the opposite story. I mean, Solomon, excuse me. They come before King Solomon and they, they look and they're telling these opposite stories. And Solomon, showing wisdom, gave an answer that people still repeat to this day. 
I've seen this in movies and sitcoms and everything else under the sun, where they use the same thing, cut it in half. And the real person, and so what does he say? He says, cut the baby in half. Bring me a sword, cut the baby in half. We know he wasn't going to do that. But in doing so, what did he find out? Found out who the real mom was because she was the one that said, oh, no, no, don't harm him. I'd rather have her have him and be alive than me have him, have him be dead. And Solomon knew immediately who was telling the truth. The other woman said, yeah, go ahead and cut him in half. And you know, you can always tell the truth by not only the one who says the right thing, but the one who says the wrong thing. So David has gone to heaven. Solomon is overseeing the people. He's a teenager, but he's got the wisdom of God. And as we come into chapter four, now he has the, the, the country running with gas. Israel is more prosperous, stronger than they've ever been. But the king's got some things he needs to be concerned about. We're going to see that by the time we get to chapter 11, this wise man has fallen apart. And the warning had, had come earlier. It's, it's in Deuteronomy. Let me just read it to you. And you, get, you be mindful of this the next, next several weeks. King Solomon's greatest struggles are described in Deuteronomy 17, verses 16 and 17. Here's what it says. Before there were kings, here's what it says. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. It goes on to say the king shall write a copy of the law, handwrite it. So he was supposed to do not multiply horses. Now understand horses in those days were not just property. They were a sign of, of power and they were something that were used in battle. And what he was saying was, I want you to trust in me, not multiply horses for yourself so that you put your faith in your army, if you will, or your horses when you should be putting your faith in me. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Amen. And that's the exhortation is we can mount up. We got to, if we have enough money in the bank account, we won't have to be desperate for God anymore. You know, if we have enough of this. And so he's saying, look, don't put your faith in stuff. Keep your faith in me and do not multiply horses. And then he said, do not multiply wives. How's Solomon going to do with that program? Horrible. And so Solomon, the reason he said, don't multiply wives, because they will distract you and draw you away. Let me make it clear. One woman with one man for a lifetime. Can I get an amen? amen? Now, if you've had a biblical divorce, you can be remarried. God knows we can talk about it if you're concerned about that. But again, not multiple wives and not cheating on your husband and your wife and not being you know, unfaithful to them. Amen? amen? So don't multiply wives and don't multiply horses. And then he says this, and I love this. He tells them, the king shall write a copy of the law. Well, in this case, the law is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So what he's saying is the king needed to sit down and write his own copy of the first five books in the Bible. Tell me that's not awesome. Can I get an amen? Wouldn't that be great if we did that for every president? Amen. And it says, not only did he write it down, but he was to carry it with him. He was to open it, read it, and obey it. Amen. 
So here's the exhortation. Do not multiply horses. Don't put your faith in your army or your military or your own mind or your own strength. Don't multiply wives. Don't give in to your lust. You put God in the throne. And then he says to him, I want you to write down your, and now again, this is, they're not typing this up, right? I don't even know what the writing implements were like 3,000 years ago. There's no ballpoint pens. Can I get an amen? So we're sitting down and this was a deal. This would take time. And not only write it down, but now you have your own copy and I want you to read it and I want you to follow it. So much for separation of church and state. Can I get an amen to that? We need godly people in office. Some people are coming out. I have a Christian friend who said she doesn't want uh, this judge to be ratified because she's so religious and loves God too much. And I'm like, amen. And you know what? It's going to impact the way she judges. I sure hope so. Amen. We are Christians. That ought to impact everything we do. And we need to know what the word of God says. And it shouldn't be what someone else tells us. I love that the king had to have his own word. So here's Solomon. And now everything's amazing. He's got this great wisdom. Israel's prosperous. We're going to see it tonight. But don't multiply horses. Don't multiply wives. Don't go back to Egypt. What's Egypt a picture of? Who knows in the Bible? It's a picture of what? It's the world. Right? They were delivered out of bondage in Egypt. The blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross, they were delivered out of bondage. Amen? We were bound into the world. We got saved. The blood of the lamb, shape of a cross, the Passover, we were delivered out of bondage. Praise God for that. So now as we come to tonight's chapter, grab your outline. We'll go through this quickly and we'll dig into the text. Just want you to remember all those things he'd been told. And remember that in the coming weeks. Don't multiply horses. Don't multiply wives. Don't go back to Egypt. Oh, by the way, he got married in, in chapter 3, verse 1. Who did he marry? Pharaoh's daughter, an Egyptian. Don't go back to Egypt and don't multiply wives. So he multiplied wives with an Egyptian wife. He's already missing the word of God, amen? He's a man who's got wisdom, but he's a flawed man at the same time. So I tell this the message, every man to his charge. You'll see why as we go through the text. Here's what this means. Every man or woman, every one of us has been gifted by God. And every one of you has a gift and has been called by God to be used by God for his kingdom and for his glory. And you have gifts that if you don't use them, they're lacking in this fellowship. Because some people, you have gifts I don't have. I may have a gift you don't have. And again, we're all called to use the gifts we've been given. And we're going to see that in tonight's text. How one of the wise things that Solomon does, another sign of his real wisdom, is he gives ministry away. And so that needs to happen. But the first thing we're going to see is everything is done decently and in order. Do you know that our God's a God of order? Amen. When you read through the Bible, he's a God of order. He knows what he's doing. Everything's done decently and in order. You know, when you, if you go into a church and it's a bunch of mayhem, that's not the Lord. Holy Spirit's not the author of confusion. Amen. And you'll see it. It's just, it's a free for all. And we're just in the spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion and I'm confused. Amen. And so the exhortation here is that we... Recognize that everything is done decently and in order. A wise man sur surrounds himself with wise counselors and faithful co-laborers. Number two, giving ministry away. Nothing can be done well for the Lord that can rest only on the shoulders of one man or one woman. God did not call us to be a one-person ministry. Amen? I'm not saying you're not uniquely gifted and maybe you're overseeing a ministry, but you should be part of a ministry where others speak into your life, where there's an authority that you answer to, that you're part of a fellowship. Amen? 
And when you send one person out by themselves, what you really have more often than not is the beginning of a cult. Amen? And so we need to make sure that we give ministry away, but that everything is done with others around us to encourage us in our walk with the Lord. Number three, the, the fruitful blessings of obedience. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. We're going to see obedience in tonight's chapter, and then we're going to see the blessings that come from it. Then number four, the real source of peace and prosperity. We're going to see peace and prosperity in tonight's chapter. And again, it's different than the way the world defines it. We're going to see the real source. The real source of peace and prosperity is the Prince of Peace and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Number five, trust in the Lord, not in your own strength. This is where he's going to multiply horses. I'm giving it away. He's going to multiply horses. And what happens is, like any king, they can get into the trap of thinking, the bigger my military and the more strength that I have, you know what, then I don't have to be desperate for God. And I doubt the way that's the way he thinks it out, but we can all fall into that trap. You know what, my prayer is always, Lord, do what's necessary to keep me humble, broken, and desperate, because that's the person God can use. Amen? And then finally, the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We're going to see that the wisdom of Solomon is going to blow everyone else away because when God's word goes forward, it's more powerful than anything any man will ever come up with. Amen? And when the word of God goes forth with power, it intrigues even the biggest atheists on the planet. God's word does not return void. Amen. And, with, and he's going to speak with great wisdom and people are going to be gathered from, they're going to come from lands far away just to hear Solomon speak, just to hear the wisdom that he has. But they're not coming for Solomon. They're coming for the God of Solomon who's speaking through him and has given him wisdom. Amen. So let's begin there. Every man to his charge, everything done decently and in order. It says, so King Solomon was the king over all Israel. And this is important because remember, when David first took over as king, the kingdom was split. You had Judah and Israel, and they had two kings on the thrones, and there was continual war within Israel. So eventually, David was able to reunite them. But Solomon is the first king that the moment he sits on the throne, Israel's already united. Israel is one nation. Israel is, uh, again, all on the same side. Here in chapter 4, Solomon brings the kingdom of Israel to its pinnacle. You could argue that in this chapter right here, this is the greatest that Israel ever was. And we're going to see it as we go through the chapter, because after, as we move forward, because of King Solomon's choices, we're going to see the kingdom start to splinter again. But right now at this point, there's no enemy coming against them. They're so prosperous, they, they can't even give it all away. Everybody in the nation has peace and prosperity. God is on the throne. God is being glorified. Israel is as strong as they have ever, ever been. And they got this young man Solomon, who's ruling and reigning in the power of God. Now, what's interesting is that David was a man of war and Solomon has lifted his sword to nobody. Solomon, as far as we know, never been in a fist fight at this point. And sometimes we look in the Bible and we think, wow, you know, peace, isn't that the answer? But I need to tell you something. Without David being a man of war, Solomon would have never been able to be a prince of peace. The war had to take place first. The battle had to be won first. Without the battle, 
There could be no victory, and without the victory, there could be no peace. And guys, there's a spiritual application for this, because Jesus came, and he won the spiritual battle. Can I get an amen to that? And he triumphed over sin and death. And through his shed blood upon the cross of Calvary, you and I can enter into his rest and into his peace. Without the cross, without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness for sin. Without the battle, there could be no peace. And guess what? David is the reason that there's peace now. And Solomon is inheriting the peace because of what David had done. And guys, we inherit the peace because of what the son of David did for us on the cross of Calvary. Amen? And so he enjoys the peace, but only because his father was willing to go to war and praise God for that. Now he's going to list some officials here in a moment. And as he lists them, I want you to see that he's going to take and give ministry away. He's going to learn early on as a young man that he can't do this all on his own. And so he's going to raise up. Men, he's going to give, put them in places of authority, and he is going to lead the leaders, if you will. Look what it says in verse 2. And these were his officials. Azariah, the son of Zadok, the priest. Eliheph and Ahijah, the sons of Shisha, scribes. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, the recorder. Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army. Zadok and Abathar, the price. Uh, the priests, excuse me. Azariah, the son of Nathan, over the officers. Zabud, the son of Nathan, a priest and the king's friend. Ahashar, over the household. And Adoram, the son of Ada, over the labor force. You know what's amazing about this? His government had really never been established like this ever before. And as he raises up this, these men to serve alongside him, he places them in places of authority that are significant. And I love as you take a look at who these people are, first three of them are priests. And I love that, that you would call, you would almost call this Solomon's cabinet, if you will, compared to today's terms, right? The people that would be in the Oval Office, the people that he would turn to every day and he would, he would give counsel to, and they would discuss what's going on in the nation. And notice three of them are priests. Wouldn't it be great if three of the people in the cabinet were pastors? Can I get an amen to that? Wouldn't it be great to have three on-fire godly men? I think Rob McCoy would probably do it. Can I get an amen to that? Send Rob McCoy, Jack Hibbs, and John MacArthur. Go on down there and just be a part of the Oval Office and yay God. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, that'd be great. Because you know what? They, they would have to have an interaction. And I love that three of them are priests. Also among them, and most of these are related, by the way, to Solomon, as we will see. Almost many of them are his nephews or his great nephews. And it says here, two are scribes. What do scribes do? They prepared the royal edicts affecting trade and commerce, military alliances. They kept the official records. Our God's a God of order. And so these guys would sit down and write everything down and, make, and put it in writing and make sure when they were dealing with other governments and everything else, these guys had an important job. Jehoshaphat was the recorder. He maintained records of all the daily affairs that were going on in the kingdom. No doubt when people came in like the, like the two harlots, that judgment, no doubt, was entered into record. So they would know what had happened, what judgment was taken, what the consequences may be for the person who lost. It was all written down. Our God is a God of order. Benaniah is the commander, the chief of the whole army. So even though there's peace, they still have an army. 
And guys, even though we know the Prince of Peace, we're still fighting the spiritual battle every single day. Amen? There's a battle between the spirit and the flesh. We're born again, new creations in Christ. We know that we're going to heaven. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's a loving God, a merciful God, a gracious God, a faithful God. But we still have a spiritual battle every day. As long as we walk around in these dead carcasses. Can I get an amen? Tell you, every time I get up in the morning, I look in the mirror and I say, you got to die. Got to put our flesh to death daily. Amen. Every day. Don't you have fleshly moments every day when you're like, where did that come? The flesh. Amen. And you know what? Sometimes you want to blame the devil. Most of the time, it's just plain stinking you. Can I get an amen? It's just plain stinking me. I got to die to myself every day. And so look, the battle's been won, but there's still that spiritual battle that takes place every day. And that's why we still need to be on our knees and we still need to put on the whole armor of God like our children taught us a couple Sundays ago. Amen. Put on the whole armor of God. We need that. Azariah was over the 12 uh, district of governors. We're going to see the governors in just a moment. And then the, the one guy was in charge, Ahashar, is in charge of the palace overseeing the servants and the workers. And then Adoniram is the labor force. So what happened is other nations would actually send workers to work in Israel. And there was a guy within the cabinet, if you will, who oversaw the labor force that came from other nations. So sometimes people think, that if you're organized, it's not spiritual. If it's really spiritual, it should just flow. I had a guy come to our church in Santa Cruz who tell me for years, he goes, you know, pastor, you know what we should have for church? We should all just come and who's got a word and whoever raises their hand, just bring them on up. I'm like, yeah, that's a train wreck waiting to happen. Can I get an amen to that? You need to be studied to show yourself approved, amen? We need to know that you're called and gifted to do that. And they're just, well, we just went by with the spirit and we just, you know, and he would say, yeah, our church, we just went with the spirit and we just, we all talked in tongues for an hour and a half and we went home. And I said, well, okay, no Bible. So Jesus didn't speak and you guys were all talking over each other, supposedly talking to the Lord. Amen. Guys, that's why I need to know the word of God done decently and in order. Amen. Yes. Are all the gifts for today? What's the answer? Yes, but they're done decently and in order. The Holy Spirit does not interrupt himself. Amen? Amen. The Bible even says if there's no order, people will think you've lost your minds. It's in the Bible. So notice the first thing. Now he's king. He's getting his feet. You know, he's got wisdom. And part of his wisdom says we need order. And we need to raise up people that can lead. Because it's not good for one man to lead on his own. Amen? He needs to give some of that away. So this first point we saw that everything done decently and in order. Our God is a God of organization. He's a God of order. And Solomon in his wisdom placed oversight over every aspect of the kingdom and had 12 governors. One, and one, each of these governors are from the 12 tribes. Now, the 12 areas are going to overlap the tribes. Because we're going to see tonight that Israel actually, in tonight's text, covers the entire area that God had promised to them. But it went beyond where the 12 tribes were. It goes into some other lands where other nations were. And by the way, this is still where Israel belongs. Can I get an amen to that? People will say, well, they shouldn't have the whole West Bank. No, they should have Syria and Lebanon and you know everything from Egypt all the way to the Euphrates River and everything in between belongs to Israel. That's what the word of God says. Amen. By the way, before it's over, it's going to happen. Amen. No, so the point is that they have that land. And because they do, he's going to 
put governors over each area. It's going to be further than the tribes themselves. And look what it says there, beginning in verse 7, giving ministry away. And Solomon had 12 governors over all Israel who provided food for the king and his household. Each one made provisions for one month of the year. Then it says, these are the names. Ben-Hur, by the way, my favorite movie ever. It's a different Ben-Hur here. Amen. <laughs> Ben-Hur, not movies fictional, but Jesus is all over that movie if you've never seen it. By the way, just side note, my favorite part of that movie, there's people, there's uh, Ben-Hur's mom and sister are lepers. And he's always seeing Jesus at a distance in this movie. At one point he falls and Jesus gives him a cup of water, but he's always seeing Jesus at a distance and he's always caught up in his own life. He looks up and Jesus is teaching on a hill. He listens for a few minutes and he walks away. You know, there's really people like that. But at the end of it, his sister and his mom have leprosy and they're about to die and Jesus dies on the cross and some of the blood goes down into like a little water stream and the stream of water comes and touches his mom and sister have leprosy and their leprosy goes away. And boy, I love the spiritual analogy there, amen? Because leprosy is a picture of sin, amen? And what washes away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, amen? So the name of one of, the, of, one of these uh, governors was Ben-Hur from the mountains of Ephraim. You're going to see that each of these different guys, they come from the 12 different tribes, but what they're ruling over is an area greater than where their tribe would be. Ben Dekar of Makaz, Shalabim, Beth Shemesh, and Elon Beth uh, Hanan. Beth Shemesh, if you ever go to Israel, the, the, uh, it's one of the areas where they have, it is so well preserved and they have dug down so deep, you can see the entire city. I've walked through the city streets and it's pretty amazing to walk through Israel. And I love when I see things like that in the Bible. Ben has said, Arabah to him belongs Soko and the land of Hefer. Ben Anadab in all regions of Dor, he and Tatha, the daughter of Solomon as wife. So this is, this is his, uh, the daughter of Solomon as wife. So this is... Um, his son-in-law, Bana, the son of Ahalud, in Tanakh, Megiddo. Megiddo, if you've read End Times, uh, Har Megiddo is Armageddon. And if you've ever been to Israel, you stand up on the mountain where uh, uh, Elijah called fire down from the sky, Mount Carmel, and you look out and you see, the, you see this, this huge and massive uh, perfect place for, for a battle to take place. And the Bible tells us that's where the last battle will be. And you stand there and you realize there's a day coming when the Lord's coming back and that battle's going to take place and the battle belongs to the Lord. Can I get an amen? So Megiddo, he's talking about all these different cities that are going to be under each man's care. Bana, the son of Alud, the Tanakh Megiddo, Beth Shane, uh, which is beside Zeratem, below Jezreel. From Beth Shane to Abel Mahalah, as far as the other side of Jachnium. Ben Gibir in Ramoth Gilead, him belonged the towns of Jair and Manasseh. In Gilead, him also belonged to the regions of Argob and Bashan, 60 large cities with walls and bronze gates and bars. Ahinadab, the son of Edo in Mahanaim. Ahamaz, in Naphtali, so you're noticing these names like Naphtali, right? And then the next we're going to see Asher, and then you can see Issachar. These are all the tribes they come from. These are the 12 tribes of Israel. Ahamaz in Naphtali, verse 15. Basimath, the daughter of Solomon, his wife. 
Banah, the son of Hushai, Asher, and Eloth, Jehoshaphat, the son of Paruah, in Issachar, Shemei, the son of Eli, not that Shemei, he's dead, and Benjamin, and the Geber, the son of Uri, the land of Gilead, the country of Sion, the king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, he is the only governor who is in the land. So now time has obviously gone by, because now Solomon has children who are now getting married. So some time has gone by. He's been ruling in the kingdom. The kingdom has grown. He's given away ministry. And each of these governors had a region they were in charge of. And one of the things that they were in charge of was one month out of the year, each different governor would be in charge of making sure that all the needs of the palace and the, and the royal people that lived there were taken care of. And so one month out of the year, that person, that governor would go through his region and he would collect taxes from everyone. So you would get, you know, if you, you had a farm, you'd give them some grain, you'd give them a couple of your animals, and that would be your tax for the year. Man, I'd love it if they'd come to my house once a month, one month out of the year and take a few things and just move on with my life and I'll see you next year. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> because by the time I'm done paying my taxes, they get more than half. Right? By the time you pay gas, every other tax. So what's neat about this is provision. Everybody's prospering. Everybody's doing well. Paying taxes doesn't kill anybody. And they're not asking for an exorbitant amount of taxes. It's amazing. They're prosperous and they take very little taxes. That's a good lesson to learn. Can I get an amen? So each of the 12 regions had a month. They would be taxed of their cattle, their grain, etc. And they would provide for the palace. And again, they only paid taxes one month out of the year. It was not an outrageous burden and minimal taxation brought about great prosperity. Now, what happened was that the king, King Solomon, we'll see later that he literally had thousands of people that he dined with every day. So every meal, he had thousands of people there. Some estimate up to 15,000 people at every meal. You got to get a lot of food to feed 15,000 people three meals a day. So there, that's where the taxation came. We're going to see it coming to provide for the king and all those who serve in leadership over the rest of the nation. And they would take some of that out of their taxes. Point number two, they're giving ministry away. Nothing could be done that rests on one man's shoulders. Can you imagine if Solomon tried to go collect everything himself? Can you imagine if Solomon tried to have oversight over all 12 regions in Israel? It wouldn't happen. And that's why it's important that we give ministry away. By the way, if you don't know how, one of the things we function as a church, okay? So we, we have, right now we have five elders. An elder and pastor, the same thing. It's Joshua, Doug, Pastor Tim, myself, and Pastor Mark Schwartz, who also is part of God Speak. But he was one of the first people that became one of our pastors here when we first began the church. And he's, he's, a, he's a, a blessed brother. Can I get an amen to that? So my heart has always been that there's a pastor over every ministry. Not that ministries don't take place without the pastor, but the pastors need to have oversight. And the reason I want that is I want us to be accountable for everything that happens. Can I get an amen to that? Because if you've got a ministry over here and somebody gets off track, I'm not saying it'll happen. Or if they just need help. We want to make sure that we have pastors overseeing every ministry. So whether it's children's ministry or it's, uh, you know, the people that shoot the video or, or the helps ministry or the women's body, every ministry has a pastor overseeing it. Not because, 
you know, we're the servants, okay? And we're accountable for Almighty God. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying every region has got someone overseeing that so that I know that there's eyes on that. I know there's, pe- there's someone serving and caring for those people. And I know if something needs to happen, that it can be brought to me and I'll find out. So he's giving ministry away. So the ministry will be more effective. You know what else? If you give ministry away, Pastor Don McClure used to tell me all the time, success of a ministry isn't how it functions when you're there, but how it functions when you're not. So if it's, it shouldn't be about any one man or woman ever. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. And if you get hit by a bus tomorrow, the ministry should continue. And you see churches where the pastor has to step down or something happens and then they spend the next four years trying to find another pastor. And that tells me that pastor that left didn't do his job. Can I get an amen to that? And I know I repeat it about once a month, but if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, who's the pastor of this church? Joshua, Joshua Camper. Amen. Why do, why do we all know that? Because you need to know that because the next day we're having church. Amen. Put me in a box, throw me in a hole. I'll be in heaven. I'm not worried about it. Keep having church. Amen. amen? And this is giving ministry away. And you know why a lot of it doesn't happen? Because sometimes you have people in this position are fearful that if they raise up other leaders, one of them might take their job. And so they're not assured of their own calling. They become fearful. And a lot of the kings are fearful to have people around. They might kill them and take their kingdom. This shows that Solomon knows that he's been called by God. He's using the wisdom of God. He's not walking in fear. And he's raising up not just the guys in the cabinet, but now he's got a bunch of governors serving with them as well who are helping oversee and minister to the people. It's not about the person in the position. It's about the people that they minister to and about the Lord. Can I get an amen? Point number three. Fruitful blessings of obedience. Look at verse 20. Judah and Israel were as numerous as the sand by the sea in multitude, eating and drinking and rejoicing. What did God tell Abraham? He said, I will number your people as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Now, this is not literal. But what he's saying is that Israel is... Now remember, they came out of bondage in Egypt, a bunch of slaves who had been beaten and mistreated and surrounded by idols. And God brought them out and because they wouldn't enter the land of promise, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And that entire generation dropped dead in the wilderness. Everybody 20 years of age and above, except for Caleb and Joshua, because they were willing to go into the land. Now they've gone into the land. When they went into the land, there were giants in the land. But because they were faithful, sometimes fearful, but when they were faithful, over time, God gave them victory. Now there's, there's no giants or the giants that are left are paying taxes to them. Amen. And what has happened is they went from a ragtag bunch of people who were serving an idolatrous nation in slavery, and now they've become the greatest nation on the planet that Egypt fears enough that the Pharaoh gave his daughter to be married to Solomon because he wants to have a treaty with them. The very people they had to escape from are now wanting to enter in. What happens is, guys, when when God is in control, we're going to go from being slaves to sin and death to people who live victorious Christian lives. Amen? And that's exactly what's happened in Israel. These ragtag bunch of folks who have been making bricks are now the greatest nation on the earth. And what happened? God's what happened. 
God's hands upon him. Amen. And notice what it says. They're eating and drinking and rejoicing. These were good times. This is the high point in the kingdom of Israel. And again, this fulfills Genesis 22. Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and the sandwiches on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. That was back in Genesis chapter 22. You see, the wars were over. There was plenty for everyone. It was a time of refreshment and rejoicing. Guys, when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Amen? They're being refreshed because they've been obedient. Isn't it, aren't you refreshed when you spend time in God's word? Aren't you refreshed when you come to church and hang out with God's people? Aren't you refreshed when you're worshiping the Lord? You know, it's amazing when you hang out with the Lord and with his people, you get refreshed. Amen? And that's why we come here. We need to be refreshed and, you know, refueled so we can go back out into the world and represent Jesus. Amen? We come here to be encouraged and strengthened. So they've been fighting battles. They've been fighting wars. They've been fighting the Philistines and, you know, all the Anies and the Ites. Amen? They've been fighting them all. And now they're all, they're all being taxed by them. They're all subservient to them. This is a refreshing time. It's a time of great peace, rejoicing and refreshment. Guys, there's a time of true peace, rejoicing and refreshment coming. And that's going to be first the millennial kingdom and then in heaven. Can I get an amen to that? We're going to rule and reign with Jesus on the earth for a thousand years. Did you know that? You know what's amazing about that? Jesus is going to be on the throne. The whole time. No elections. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> we're going to see what the world will be like with Jesus on the throne. It's going to be amazing. And I can't wait. And we're going to rule and reign with him. Well, this is the closest to it that Israel ever had. They're being refreshed. And it says there, So Solomon reigned over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines. The river there is the Euphrates. As far as the border of Egypt. So again, when you look at Israel, they always use a term for Israel. They always give two cities. Who remembers what they are? From Dan to Beersheba. Dan to Beersheba. So Beersheba's in the south. It's down, if you ever go to Israel, it's down where the Dead Sea is. And Dan is a very northern point of Israel. And when you talk about Israel, people say from Dan to Beersheba, from Dan to Beersheba. It'd be like we, if we said from Alaska to Florida or something, right? It's from one, the, the most northern point to the most southern point. And if you go to Dan, it's amazing because in Dan, the very top, there's a, there's a fountain that comes up right out of the ground. It's the most clean water you've ever seen in your life. And it literally is the one that fills the rivers in Israel. It's pretty amazing. And it comes right up out of the ground. It's beautiful. From Dan to Beersheba. But guess what? The land that they're ruling over now goes beyond Dan and beyond Beersheba. It goes literally from Egypt... Egypt in, one, in, the, in the southern portion. Or, 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 excuse me, let me double check that, my geography here. But yeah, so it's, it goes from, you know, from Egypt, the borders go beyond the geographical boundaries. And again, um, from the land of the Philistines in the west, Egypt in the southwest, the Euphrates River in the north and the east. So the Euphrates River is in the north, and Egypt and the land of the Philistines is in the south. And these borders go, again, far beyond the geography of Dan to Beersheba. It says in Genesis 15, On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, your descendants, I have given the land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. That's in Genesis 15, 18, and it gets fulfilled right here. And it's going to be fulfilled again. Can I get an amen? 
So the exhortation, understand the word of God when it says it, the word of God is always true. Amen? So the fruitful blessings of obedience, here they are. They're being refreshed. They're in a position. Then it says, they brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. So anybody from Egypt and from where the Philistines were all the way up to the Euphrates River and everyone in between, they came and brought tribute to King Solomon and to his kingdom, and they brought it willingly. There was no threat of war. And again, when we're walking with the Prince of Peace, we can truly have peace. Point number four, the real source of peace and prosperity. Look at verse 22. Now Solomon's, now watch this. Watch this. Solomon's provision for one day was 30 cores of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fatted oxen, 20 oxen from the pastures, 100 sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fatted fowl. Talk about a barbecue. <laughs> this is one day's food to feed the people in the palace. I did some studying and they said this amount of food at the minimum could feed 15,000 people and could feed as many as 30,000 depending on the, the uh, size of the portions. And of course they could have been less. Could have been 5,000 people and they just ate a lot. I don't know. But this is far more than just Solomon's household. Because here's the reality. When we give our life to the Lord, when we're walking with the Lord, our family goes far beyond those that we're just related to biologically. Can I get an amen to that? We are a family. I view you guys as much my family as my family. Why? Because when you have Jesus in common, you have everything in common. Amen? And you've heard me say it. Blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood. And I have people I'm related to that I'm closer to everyone in this room than some people I'm related to. Why? Because we have Jesus in common. Amen? And so Solomon, when he has these feasts, all these people are coming, and it's more than just his immediate family, but it's a great time of rejoicing in the blessing because of God's grace and God's permission. Notice what it says here, verse 24. For he had dominion over the region on this side of the river, from Tipshah even to Geza, namely over the kings of the side of the river, and he had peace on every side all around him. I don't think we've seen that once when we've been talking about Israel until that verse. Because Israel was, there was always battle. Sometimes it was within. Sometimes it was just Saul trying to kill David. But often it was the Philistines and the Amorites and the Moabites. And there was always a battle taking place. And now, I mean, for Solomon, what a blessing. Your dad did all the wars and now you just get to hang out and enjoy the blessing. But he's using wisdom. And he's continuing to minister to the people. And make sure that he has, again, the people's needs cared for. And he's raised up other people. So it's a time of peace and prosperity. It's also a time of, of security and safety. Verse 25, And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, each man under his vine and his fig tree, from Dan as far as Beersheba. There you go. There's Israel. All the days of Solomon. Now what does that mean? Each man had his own vine and his own fig tree. In the Bible, the vine and the fig tree both are representations of Israel. Whenever you see a fig tree, it represents Israel. Whenever you see a vine, it's speaking of Israel often. Um, sometimes it also speaks of the Lord. I am the vine and you are the branches. Can I get an amen? But in the Old Testament, you see it often referring to Israel. And what this really means is that every man 
Every family from Dan to Beersheba had both peace and prosperity. This picture of peace and prosperity, there's every person had enough, every person was satisfied. Isn't that what every country would love to have happen? Except we always have people in charge who are a mess. Can I get an amen? We've always got people that have an ulterior motive. We always have people who, who think we, we need to get God out of the government. What we need is to get rid of the government completely and just turn over our lives over to God completely. Can I get an amen to that? And so they dwelt safely. Each man had his vine and his fig tree from Dan to Beersheba. In the millennial reign that's spoken of in Micah chapter 4, let me read something. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and he shall be exalted above the hills and the people shall flow to it. Many nations will come and say, come let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. We will walk in his paths. For out of Zion, the law shall go forth. And the Lord of the Lord, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they uh, learn war anymore. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid. For out of the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Solomon will be a picture of that. I mean, Solomon's a picture of, the, of something that's going to happen even greater again during the millennial reign when Jesus Christ comes back. So peace and prosperity. If you had a peace and prosperity uh, platform, what would be on it? Well, a lot of people say, well, peace is the absence of war, but not really. Real peace, you, ever, you guys all seen the old school Bible sticker? It says N-O Jesus, N-O peace. K-N-O-W Jesus, K-N-O-W. No Jesus, no peace, amen? No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace, Amen? And that's the reality because it's not the absence of war that brings peace. Because here's the reality. Even if, even if every country put down their weapons tomorrow and there was no more fighting taking place and everybody in this country that was violent put all their guns down and all the gangs and everybody else, all the criminals stopped and everything stopped overnight. Do you know there'd still be a battle going on? And it's a battle between the spirit and the flesh. Amen? It's our battle between this, the sinfulness of who we are and who we need to be in Christ. Amen? So peace doesn't come when all the war goes away. And peace doesn't come, you know, you've heard me say that St. Augustine said that every man, has, every man, every woman has a God-shaped vacuum, and I believe that. What I mean, and what he meant by that is, you know, you can't put sex in there, you can't put money in there, you can't put drugs in there, you can't put popularity in there, you can't put education in there. You know, you can't put anything in there that will satisfy because God created all of us to have a relationship with him. Amen? And without that relationship with him, we're going to be empty. Elvis Presley said at the end of his life, I would give all my fame, all my fortune, everything I've ever done for 30 minutes of peace. I wish I could have sat down with him. I could have said, I can show you how to have an eternity worth of peace. Amen? See, peace doesn't come from the absence of war. It doesn't come from everything being perfect. By the way, if you're only happy when everything's perfect, you're not going to be happy very often. And that's why we don't seek happiness, which is temporary. What we really want is joy that can only come from the Holy Spirit. Amen? And we can have joy when the storm is going on all around us. And so they're in a place of peace. And they're in a place of great prosperity. And they're not worried about 
the enemy coming over the hill. They're not worried about Israel. Israel today doesn't feel that way. Can you imagine if Mexico and Canada wanted us dead? Even worse, even worse, if L.A., if L.A. and uh, Santa Barbara wanted us dead, that's what Israel deals with. They're surrounded by nations that want them dead. And you know what? This was a time when they had great peace. And, praise, and the reason that Israel continues to survive is God's not done with Israel. Amen? And I'm pro-Israel because God's pro-Israel. Amen? So they have peace and they have prosperity. And they're dwelling in safety. Every man has a fig tree and a vine. They all have plenty to eat. Everyone's satisfied. Uh-oh, King, De- King Solomon, what's going to happen? Point number five. Trust in the Lord, not your own strength. So Solomon had how many horses? Stalls? 40,000. 40, Would that be multiplying horses? <laughs> that's, more than mul- that's some algebra with horses right there. Can I get an amen? 40,000 stalls for horses. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And why did God have it written in Deuteronomy, a book, by the way, that Solomon had to handwrite, remember? He knows what it says. Does he know what it says? He's written it down. He has the book with a copy in it. He knows what it says. Do not multiply horses. Do not multiply wives. We already know he got the wife from Egypt. He had another wife before that. Now he's got all these other ones that are related to him. He's got multiple wives. We don't know how many at this point, but we know before he's over, he's going to have 700 wives and 300 concubines. And he's got 40,000 horses. That's some serious multiplying of wives and horses. Can I get an Amen. And it's amazing how God gives us clear instruction and then we act in the exact opposite from it and then we wonder why things are a mess. The way of the transgressor is hard. Amen? When you choose to disobey God, when you choose to shake your fist at God, when you choose to live in rebellion against God, when you choose not to obey God, it's not God's fault when the consequences come. It's mine and it's yours. Amen? And so he's multiplying horses. He's got 40,000 horse stalls. We're going to see in coming chapters. By the time we get to chapter 11, this is all done. Seven chapters. Wisest man. It's all going to fall apart. And these governors, each man in his month, provided food for King Solomon, for all who came to King Solomon's table, and there was no lack in their supply. So he's got... 40,000 horses, and we'll see in a couple of verses. So if it was your area's turn that month, you had to bring enough food to feed you know, roughly 15,000 people a day for a month. That's an estimate, right? And then you had to bring enough grain to feed 40,000 horses and to care for all the cattle. And it wasn't a big deal because the land was so prosperous. But again, we need to be careful. Where are you putting your faith? Look, I'll be transparent. When I was a young man, another buddy of mine, we both had like a dollar amount in mind. If we had that much in the bank, we'd feel pretty secure. And that's kind of, I think that every, a lot of people do, but that's really a guy thing too. Amen. Especially when you got a family. Well, if I had a certain amount in the bank, then I'd be doing okay. I'd be doing better if I, you know. And again, I'm not saying we shouldn't save. We shouldn't live, you know, in a way that we don't live beyond our means. And I think that we need to count the cost. Amen. 
But we don't put our faith in our bank account. Put our faith in Jesus, amen? And we don't put our faith in, again, the things of this world, our possessions or anything else. We put our faith in the Lord. And you shall not multiply horses nor cause people to return to Egypt. He's got an Egyptian wife. He's multiplying horses. And he's already started multiplying wives. And again, the warning had come 400 years earlier. And he's multiplying them for himself. Instead of trusting in the Lord's power that he might provide. You know, it says in 1 Kings 2, 4, If your son heeds the way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and all their soul, he, sh- he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne in Israel. If Solomon and his descendants had obeyed God, then from David's descendants, they would always be on the throne. And sadly, we're going to see that that's not going to last. Solomon didn't trust in God's word as much as he should have. And you know the truth? Sometimes we don't either. Amen? We read it. And we say we believe it, but sometimes our actions don't line up with it. Amen. Sometimes you try to force God's hands. So these governors, each of them had to provide however many thousands of people that it was. And they had to provide the food for them. And then it says there in verse 28, They also brought barley and straw to the proper place for the horses and the steeds, each man according to his charge. Now, right there, each man according to his charge. You probably read right over that. And as I study and I pick verses apart and I really dig into them, this really jumped out at me. Each man according to his charge. Each person had a calling. Each person had a level of responsibility. Each person had something they needed to do to make everything go the way that it's supposed to. And here's the reality. Everybody that's here tonight, everybody watching us on live stream, everybody that watches us later, every one of us, has a gift and a calling on our life. And this is between you and the Lord. Maybe you shouldn't even think about this tonight when when you're laying in bed and you're, you're praying before you go to sleep. Lord, am I doing what you've called me to do? Am I being faithful to do what you've called me to do? Everyone to his own charge. Each man according to his own charge. The only reason that this was working is each one was faithful to their calling and duty. And there's no small job when you're doing it for Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Bringing snacks for people at church may seem mundane, but you know what happens when there's food here? People hang out longer, more fellowship happens. And you know what? People start to connect with people and they might come back the next week and maybe they get saved down the line. And so if you're bringing snacks for the Lord, you do it as unto the Lord. Setting up chairs. You're setting up chairs for the Lord. If someone doesn't set up chairs, we're all sitting on the ground. Can I get an amen? And when you, but when you're setting up chairs, you do it for Jesus, amen? When you're doing communion or you're bringing water or you're, uh, you're overseeing the helps ministry, whatever it might be, anything we do, we're doing for the Lord. Our church in Santa Cruz, we had a building. We'd have to go in and often and we'd have to mop it because it had a, the kind of floor that it had. And we had to put wax on. And, and I'd go by and I'd see these guys in there at four o'clock in the morning waxing the floor. And I'm like, man, that guy's doing that for Jesus. Got headphones on, listening to worship music, doesn't even know I'm there, doing it for Jesus. Guys, when we're doing it for Jesus, it's always worth it. Can I get an amen to that? And so anything we do for Jesus, we should do it the best, not giving him the rest. Amen? So for for teaching in the three and four-year-old class, we should prepare for the three and four-year-old class like we're going to teach a Bible study to 100,000 guys at the Coliseum. Amen? 
We should be just as prepared for four or five-year-olds as we do, would be for 5,000 adults because we're doing it for Jesus. Amen? I've told you how I got saved. Mrs. Green's Sunday school class at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington in 1967. I was four and a half years old. She put up the flannel board. She told the story of the resurrection and the crucifixion. And then she had us bow our heads. And she told us that we were all sinners and how we could confess. And if we wanted to, to raise our hands. I raised my little hand. I prayed that sinner's prayer with her. And then she brought me into another room. I prayed with her again. She made sure I understood. She gave me a little white Bible, put my name on the inside side of it. And I've never walked away from the Lord since. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. And that's only by the grace of God. Amen. But praise God that Mrs. Green took teaching the four-year-old class, the four and five-year-old class at the First Baptist Church of Wilmington. Seriously, we went over to her house for dinner later. My dad was the pastor of the church and she had a picture of every kid in her class on her fridge and she prayed for him every day. That's someone who's called. And that's how we should do everything for the Lord. The people who put the signs out, Doing it for Jesus, amen? Do you know what we do? We had two new families here Sunday that had seen our signs previous weeks and they came back on Sunday because somebody put a sign out. Thank you, Lord, amen? Everything we do, let's do it for the Lord. We don't give God what's left over. And by the way, you're here on Thursday nights, you're the core folks, but let's be on time. (laughs) I get it on Thursday for work and some of you have commutes, I get it, but Sunday morning... Unless you went surfing with Pastor Tim, you, you, you're just coming straight from my house, amen? And you can get it. Let's get it on time, because why? We're doing it for Jesus, amen? I don't want to miss out on worship. Well, that's just what we're going to do in heaven for eternity. It's not a big deal, amen? Setting up chairs for Jesus, bringing snacks for Jesus, serving in work on the worship team for Jesus, serving on the tech team, the children's ministry, putting up the signs, passing out Bibles and outlines, caring for the church's finances, teaching a Bible study, serving in the helps ministry. We can go on and on and on and on. But notice it said there that each one was faithful to their charge, each man according to his charge. I don't have... A, the same gift that Pastor Tim has. And he, and he does have the gift I have to some degree, but we're differently gifted. And you know what? We both have to use our gifts for the church to function right. And so does everybody else here. Amen? And we need to take it seriously. I know I'm driving that home, but that, was a, that really stuck out to me. Each man according to his own charge. The smallest detail deserves our greatest attention. I remember in Santa Cruz, we met in a gymnasium for nine years. And one of the things I love, my, my wife would get there because it was used as a gym for the school every day. And, you know, bathrooms and gyms stinketh. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and so my wife would go early and, and she didn't really go in the men's room, but the women's room, she would make it look like something. I mean, she put candles in there and flowers and make it smell all good. And, and uh, she would always say, well, I don't do, I go, babe, you're doing that for Jesus. And you know what? God honors that. Amen. Anything we do, let's do it for the Lord. She wanted to bless the ladies so they wouldn't go in there and die when they, <laughs> when they walked in. And praise the Lord for that. And as you're called, you know, when you're called to do something that seems simple, if you're doing it for Jesus, great is your reward in heaven. Amen? Amen. Final point. The foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men. Now watch this. And God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand of the seashore. I love that term right there. He had a big heart. 
You know, when you hear someone has a big heart, isn't that always a compliment? It is. And that guy's got a big heart. You know what that means? That guy, or that, she's got a big heart. It means they love people. Amen? They're kind. They care about other people. They love people. And it says here that he's a man of great wisdom, exceedingly great. When the Bible says exceedingly and great, that's pretty awesome. Exceedingly great understanding. What a great prayer to pray. What a great thing to have. Amen? Then it says, largest of heart, as, a, as like the sand of the seashore. Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the east and the wisdom of Egypt. The men from the east, where do we hear about them? Wise men coming from the east, where do we hear about them? Birth of Jesus, amen? Wise men travel afar. So there were wise men in the east that were known to have been wise men a thousand years before Jesus came. And it said Solomon's wiser than all of them. And all those people that are wise in Egypt, the ones who were building pyramids and all the things they were doing architecturally and the wisdom that they had, great wisdom. They were, you know, they were a great nation, right? Great technology. Guess who's wiser? Solomon. Why? Because the source of wisdom is the Lord. But also the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, amen? So Solomon's wiser than all of them. Now, here, let me just say this as a side note. You know what's kind of kind of gut check for all of us? Solomon's wiser than anyone who's ever lived, and he's still multiplying horses and wives. Do you know what that tells us? Take heed lest you fall. Because none of us is as wise as, as Solomon, which means all of us could fall into that trap or even worse, left to ourselves. Amen? And that's why we got to be humble and broken and desperate and crying out to the Lord. Because in our own strength, we're going to fail. Then it says, he's wiser than all men. Wiser than Ethan, the Ezrahite of Haman, Shalal, and Darda, the sons of Mehol. And his fame is, was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. And his songs were 1,005. So he's an author of Proverbs. We know that he wrote most of the book of Proverbs in the Bible. Someone once asked me if I could memorize one book in the Bible and have it just completely down, completely memorized. It's hard to pick them because I love them all. Can I get him into that? But I said, you know what? Probably Proverbs. Because does Proverbs apply to your everyday life? Does it apply to like every moment, every decision you make? Can I get an amen to that? You know, they have this thing called the Bible rap. We used to teach my kids. And it says, Proverbs is the book of wisdom. Kids who don't read Proverbs is dumb. Amen? <laughs> it's a Proverbs. <laughs> yep, I love it. Genesis, where it all began with Adam and Eve and Abraham. It's good stuff. He spoke 3,000 Proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. Now, we don't have a lot of his songs. And I want to say this. He had songs. David had psalms. And it talks about David and David's heart for the Lord, how much he loved the Lord. And I will say this, and I could be wrong. I'd like to say that. I don't think Solomon had anywhere near the level of intimacy with God that David did. David was, you know, he was out there with the, you know, as a shepherd boy, just singing to Jesus, or singing to God. Amen. Jesus was already God too. Amen. Kind of amen. But he's singing to the Lord. He's singing to God when he's a shepherd, when nobody's around. And he had intimate fellowship with the Lord. And King David also fell. Take heed lest we fall. 
But Solomon doesn't seem to have that level of intimacy. Seems like he knows the right thing to do and he does it. And he has wisdom to know right from wrong. But Solomon is a man who's wise when it comes to judging others, but foolish when it comes to his own life. And sometimes you meet people like that, really good at giving other people advice, but not really good at following it themselves. And let's finish up. Notice this. When you notice this, he also spoke of trees from the cedar tree of, of, of Lebanon, even to the hyssop and the springs of the, of the wall. We'll come back to that in a minute. He spoke about animals and birds and creeping things and of fish. And men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Now, here's what's amazing is there's this battle that goes on every day that I hear this all the time. And I'm tired of hearing it. And they'll say, do you believe in science? <laughs> no, I don't believe in science. I'm dead. Of course we believe in science. <laughs> the word science means knowledge. Did you know that? It means knowledge. Do you believe in knowledge? Yes. But what they're asking, they asked this of uh, Judge uh, Amy Coney Barrett. They asked her, do you believe in science? You know what they're asking? Do you believe in the science that we believe in that disregards God? That's what they really mean, amen? Because they believe that science means there's no God. Well, guess what? He created science and he's omniscience. Can I get an amen? He's all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful. So, of course, we believe in science. We just don't believe in that voodoo called evolution. We don't believe in multiple genders. And we're not worried about climate change. And you know why we're not? Because God's in control. Could the climate be changing? Because I'm not worried about it because God's in control. And there's, a, there's some warming coming that's worse than global. Can I get an Amen. So you better get right with Jesus. It's not global warming. It's eternal warming you ought to be worried about. But the only reason they're all about climate change is they worship Mother Earth. We don't worship the Earth. We worship the Creator. Amen? This thing about the genders. God made the male and female. Read Genesis and you'll knock that out immediately. Amen? And evolution. God created man. He didn't go from the goo to the zoo to you. Can I get an Amen? That's not what happened. God created us in his image. So do you believe in science? So I love this. This is the first time you see this. It says he studied. And I wrote down the terms for each one because I forgot what they are. But it says that, you know, he was, he was a zoologist. He studied animals. Amen. He was an ornithologist. He studied birds. Right. He studied creeping things. They're called entomologists. He spoke of these things because he had studied them and he was an authority. And science is not the enemy of faith as the world often betrays it. Again, because our God is the one who created it. Amen? I had a guy tell me on flying home from India one time. 17-hour flight. Got a lot of time. Captive audience. I sit on the aisle on purpose. Where are you going? You're by the window. I'm here. And the guy told me five minutes into the flight, well, I'm on the opposite side of you. I'm a scientist. You can't be that scientific if you don't believe in God. Can I get an amen to that? Believing in spite of the evidence is foolishness. Sadly, Solomon, here's the sad part. He's this wise. He's so wise. But he's going to multiply horses. He's already done it. He's multiplying wives. He's going to succumb to the world's temptation and Israel's going to suffer and be divided again. Guys, faithfulness matters. Amen? It's not just wisdom knowing right from wrong, but it's living it. 
It says in Deuteronomy 28, now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey my voice, the Lord your God, to observe carefully his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. I want to go back and just look at one thing as we close. And a man who wrote 3,000 Proverbs had, a, had 700 wives. Just because you're wise doesn't mean you don't struggle with the flesh. Amen? Isn't it interesting? Look at verse 33. We'll close with this. Lebanon, the trees of Lebanon, and hyssop. Trees of Lebanon were the greatest trees. Remember, you see it throughout the Bible. They're the greatest trees on the planet. They would talk about, they brought in the trees of Lebanon. We're going to see when he builds the temple. That's where he's going to get the trees. Where have we seen hyssop before? With Christ. Right? Well, there's two places that, that I know for sure that we see hyssop. First one is at Passover. Now, what happened was when they put the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross, what did they do? They had to shed the blood of the lamb. It wasn't enough to just shed it, but they had to apply it. And how did they apply it? What did they use? Hyssop. And they would take the blood and they put it in the shape of a cross and the angel of death passed over. Fast forward 3,000 plus years and Jesus is hanging on the cross. And where does hyssop come in? Who remembers? Yes. They try to put it up to his mouth to give it to him. Hyssop is basically a weed. It's the least of all the trees. It's a weed. It grows in walls, it says there. It grows out of the wall. If it grows out of the wall, it's not a big tree. Can I get an amen to that? It's coming out of the crack in the wall. So you got the tree of Lebanon, which is these are majestic trees, the best trees. And then you got a hyssop. And he, he uses these two analogies. And I love this because I see Jesus in everything. So it's just me. Can I get an amen? So he is the perfect and the greatest of all things, and he came to earth and became the least. Can I get an amen? amen. He went from being a tree of Lebanon in heaven to a, hyssop, to, to a hyssop branch on earth. Amen? And it's not by chance that hyssop is what was, where the blood was, uh, again, in the shape of a cross, and the hyssop was put to his mouth. Guys, the Bible, it all fits together. Amen? Jesus was the great, and he left heaven and came to earth. He became, a, you know, of, of no account on our behalf so that we might go to heaven. Amen? Well, this verse ends there with all the nations coming to hear him. People were traveling from all over just to hear what he'd have to say. And I want to tell you something, guys. If we spend time in God's word, if we speak the truth in love, and we speak with wisdom, there will be people that will mock you one day and when they're going through a tough time, we'll want to know what you have to say. Can I get an amen to that? Because guys, we have the words of eternal life because we know the one who gives it. Can I get an amen? And we don't just know about him. We know him. He's my best friend. The spirit of the living God lives inside of me. What a great and awesome God we serve. Amen. So every man to his charge, everything done decently and in order. We need to give ministry away. Don't let it rest all on you. The fruitful blessings of obedience. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. The real source of peace and prosperity can only come from the Prince of Peace. We need to trust in the Lord, not your own strength. Don't multiply horses. Don't multiply things of this world. Put your faith in those. And the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. And Lord, we just pray for just opportunities to use the gifts you've given us for your kingdom and for your glory. I pray that we would all go home tonight 
As we lay in our beds, as we get ready to go to sleep, that, Lord, we would come before you and say, Lord, am I doing what you've charged me to do? Lord, I hope I am, but I don't want to assume that I am. And Lord, may you examine our hearts and show us, is there more you want to do in us and through us? Lord, you don't need us, but we need you. So Lord, be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said...